Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. It's episode 526, and I'm your host, Rob Walling. This week, I have a conversation with Justin Vincent. You might recognize his name from the TechZing podcast or from his project Nugget at Nugget.one. He's launched apps, he's had successes, he's had failures, he's done a lot of learning, and now he's doing some teaching at this website, which started as an idea generation factory where he would basically sell new startup ideas. And I still love the big core of ideas that he has there. And then he launched education because he realized people were taking ideas and they weren't being successful with them. So he was trying to teach them how to bootstrap. Before we dive into that, you should check out sasspodcastawards.com. We have all of our nominees and the voting has begun. So if you head over there, you can vote for your favorite podcast in each of four categories. In addition, I've had a couple of emails with comments about recent changes to the podcast. So the first comment is about our news roundtable episode. And Stephen wrote in, he says, I'm a longtime listener. The podcast always jumps to the top of my queue on Tuesdays. The most recent news roundtable format was my favorite episode of the show. Not only was it riveting, but you all so effectively advocated for specific changes to help bootstrap companies. The only way these things will change is if people are aware of the issues. So thanks, Stephen, for writing in. I love doing those startup roundtables episodes about every two to three months as there become enough interesting stories that, that build up that I can bring a few people on and we can discuss them. Another comment was about removing the intro song. I thought this one was kind of funny. An anonymous listener wrote in, he says, I still can't get over the fact that you killed the intro for Startups for the Rest of Us, i.e. the scripted intro with the song were out of control in the background. When you first started Tiny Seed Tales, I realized by listening to both how impactful the intro music is to the vibe of the podcast. Then you got rid of the intro for Startups for the Rest of Us, and I'm sure you have a good reason. I'm just curious as to what it is. I feel like it's been gone for around a year now. Yeah, which is accurate. I do love the show, and it has absolutely helped me on my entrepreneurial journey. So thanks so much for writing in. That was a shift. It was about a year and a half ago, I believe. And I asked on Twitter if people cared if I if it was there or not. And I, I think at this point, it's a really nice throwback. And it's something I want to bring in now and again for nostalgia's sake. But... I don't know. I don't necessarily feel like I need an intro song for the podcast anymore. If you feel otherwise, or if you agree, would love to hear from you. Questions at startupsfortherestofus.com, or you can reach out to me at Rob Walling on Twitter. And with that, let's dive into our conversation. Sir, thank you so much for joining me on Startups for the Rest of Us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rob. So folks may recognize your voice from the TechZing podcast, TechZingLive.com, if they want to check that out. You guys have been running that for almost as long as, as we have, right? Did you start it in 2010? Yeah, you were, you were first to the post. Then we were we recorded initially a lot more shows and we got up to like a two, 250 and then we, we went down to like a show every three months. So now you are like well beyond us. Right. You're, quarter, you're a quarterly podcast at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's even in this year, it's even looking like less than that. So <laughs> we'll see. Wow. Yeah. It's a longer form show. It tends to be what, about an hour and a half and you and Jason Roberts get on and, and you talk about tech, you talk about entrepreneurship. Sometimes you talk about, you used to talk about like the walking dead. You've talked about just kind of anything. I know Jason's doing a lot of body hacking and like working out and stuff. So it's kind of a, a variety show of sorts. And we've also interviewed a lot of people. We have a good track record of interviewing people who then go on to build unicorns. So, uh, you know, uh, Travis Kalanak and also Patrick Ollison. You know, if you go back to the back catalog, there's a lot of good stuff as well. That's right. I had forgotten. And you interviewed Gabriel Weinberg. You had a bunch mm-hmm. of, and, you, and you interviewed them all pretty early. It was my memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we got them early. Cool. Yeah. So 
you're on the show today to talk about a bunch of stuff, talk about your entrepreneurial experience, and then to talk about this project you, you run called Nugget. It's at nugget.one. I want to start by talking through a successful SaaS app you launched called Plugio. And the way I've explained it to a few people, I want to hear, you know, I'm interested to hear your story of kind of why you built it and, and what it was like. But I remember you kind of built Buffer before Buffer. That's right. That is yeah. right. Except I made a mistake, and this is a learning that I, I had, unfortunately, too late, which is that I sort of built too many features. So the, so the main feature of Plugio, which was Buffer, was sort of like a subsetting screen, you know? So it, it also did a lot of other stuff, like it was a Twitter client, it was an RSS feeder, it was, it was a lot of things. Really, what I, what I should have done is just keep it small and simple right from the get-go. Unfortunately, there was too much surface area, a lot of customer support, a lot of code to maintain. And also, I wasn't spending enough time marketing it. So if you look at if you look at the buffer story, Joel basically built a very small app and then spent the rest of his time marketing. I built a very big app and spent most of my time dealing with customer support and a very small amount of time marketing. Right, and that's the that's the trap of being a developer, right? I've done the same thing where we just think product solves everything and new feature solves everything. And you built it and launched it in 2009. The thing that I think we should also call out is building a small product and going and marketing it wouldn't work if you were trying to build an email service provider or CRM or, you know, that stuff today because it's too competitive and you have to have a lot of features to compete. But building a social media, you know, scheduling app in essence in 2009, you were so early to the space. Again, you built Buffer before Buffer that that could actually work as evidenced by Buffer. So I don't want people listening to think, oh, I can just go build a single or two features and just market and that'll be it. You might get lucky, but you kind of have to do it in a nascent space where there's not already a lot of competition. But I think something that's also worth talking about there is what are your revenue goals? Because if your revenue goals are small, let's say it's just a couple of thousand a month, even 5,000 a month, if you go into a huge market, there's nothing to say that you can't take out a tiny part of that market. I mean, I'm just talking like a, a 0.1% of a massive market. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. And I think I think someone's goals, you know, have to play into that. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the origin story of, of Plugio? I know that you kind of built it to basically scratch your own itch. Well, yeah, because we, we started doing the podcast um, and the idea was a tech startup podcast. And from my perspective... The only real thing I was thinking about wasn't bootstrapping, it was funded startups. And that was the context. But then the more we sort of got into it, the more we started meeting people who were bootstrappers and that brought me into the bootstrapping world. And I basically just created some scripts, automated scripts to post the show when it was released and to promote the show on Twitter. And those scripts uh, subsequently turned into software. And then I sort of spoke to people on Twitter and said, would you like to try out this software? And that's how it really turned into a SaaS app. And you spent a couple years growing that, I think two or three years, and it, did it peak around 4,000 MRR? It peaked around 4,000 MRR. And if you listen to the, the 300 episodes of, of our show, and sort of, because that's, it's possible to go and download them all and listen to them. The interesting thing is that I was never super into the product. And I think that was another, another reason why it might have not been successful, because I didn't personally like it that much. I, I liked it a, a bit, but I was sort of ambling along with it. We'd have a lot of guests on and there'd be a lot of heart to hearts with those guests. And they'd basically say, look, man, you need to do this with your, <laughs> with plug And I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. So that was sort of the, the, the journey of it. Yeah. It's, it's hard, man. You know, I've, I've owned a lot of products over the past, well, almost 20 years now. And I have absolutely had some 
most of them, and especially in the early days, where I just didn't really care about the market. I didn't care about the app. And that was okay because a lot of them were relatively on autopilot. They had SEO traffic or paid ads that I was just setting and forgetting. They didn't require a ton of support. And they grew to their plateau, their natural plateau of two grand a month, five grand a month, 10 grand a month. You know, they were all pretty small and that was okay. But if I'm personally, I'm going to spend years building a drip, a seven figure, an eight figure app. I do believe that you have to care about that problem or care about that solution or care about that customer base. There has to be something drawing you in more than money for most people. Now, maybe there's an exception out there of like, I just want the money, I don't care. But I think you're just going to be unhappy if you do that. Well, I love your term enthusiasm half-life. That's that's really what it's all about. That to say, Plugio was a success. <laughs> Here's the thing. Like sort of in spite of in spite of that, it still was a success and I was able to exit from it. And so I think overall I made about a quarter of a million dollars from that project. Yeah, which is obviously pretty nice for a bootstrapper who's working a day job and doing something on the side. When you said enthusiasm half-life, is that my term? Did I coin that? I seem to remember being on a texting show with you and you talking about it. Okay. I, I was thinking at the time, yeah, that's that's a really good point, <laughs> especially with the work on Plugio. Yeah, totally. I remember, I'll have to go back and listen because of course you say, you say so many things for so many years and you kind of forget the you know, stuff that you coined. But I do remember talking about the domain name waiting period where we were like, I said, I don't rec- register domains without a, like a 48 hour cooling down time. Oh, because yeah. <laughs> I at one point I had 80 domains and I was only using 15 of them or something. We talked a lot about that. And you actually spoke, little known fact, you actually spoke at the very first microconf at the Riviera in Las Vegas in 2011. And you told the story of growing Plugio, although you hadn't sold it yet. So you were still working on it. I was still working on it. And that was such a great experience um, for both of us. We loved what you've done with MicroConf and just the way that it's grown has been fantastic. Yeah, and both of us, you mean Jason Roberts, your co-host. Yeah, Yeah. Jason Roberts. That was so cool having you guys out there meeting in person, I believe, for the first time. It was Uh was quite an event. When we first came up with the the idea for MicroConf, Mike and I were like, we're going to, it's going to be 225, 250 people. It's a great hotel. By the time we we got done, it was like like 102 people and we had to give away like 20 tickets to fill the room. You know, it was was that bootstrapper story of these things are a lot harder than you think they're going to be, right? Yeah, always, yeah. You had to be small and scrappy at that time. But then, much like most SaaS apps, if you keep that momentum, it becomes easier over time. Same thing with MicroConf. So after you exited Plugio, then you started another app called Light, which was, it was actually, I remember when you were talking about it on the podcast, I believe you described it as like mobile on-demand delivery via bike messenger. Was it via bike well, that was just the f- just because it was just easier to do that. It would have been through car or anything else, but in the first, just in the first place, it was through. I hired a couple of couriers to to basically ride bikes around. Yeah. And when you were saying, "Hey, I'm bootstrapping this," I was like, "No way! You can't bootstrap this. This is too big. It's a network effects. It's got high costs. It's got physical things like all of that." So, you want to tell us like. Did it succeed? Did it fail? You know, how long did you work on it? Like, what, what, what's the story of Light? Well, so, I mean, the reason why I did Light, why I attempted something that big, is because I felt pretty cocky because of the success of Plugia. Because, you know, I'd had an exit and I had been a conference speaker. So, you know, surely the next thing I should do is something really big. <laughs> so I built out Light. I basically created the brand, built the mobile app, dispatch system, sort of slurped in different menus from Starbucks and Burger King with pictures and stuff. And it got got onto the app store. And then I 
delivered 10,000 cards through Pasadena and hired couriers and started selling stuff and it was making money. It was working. I mean, that was the point that it got to where we, we had revenue and it was working. So then something happened. The problem was, <laughs> the problem was I found out I didn't actually like it. <laughs> Again. Well, no, this, that, this is, this is, this has been a consistent problem for me. I would say for, for like 20 years, like picking the right project for me. So I, I'm sort of one of those one man wrecking crew kind of people where I can, I can do the development. I can do the marketing. I'm proven at sales. I, I can pretty much do whatever you throw at me. The problem is, is, is it actually what I want to do? <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of the problem. So a, a lot of the time since then has been uh, solving that problem, which I do believe I've solved now. Do you feel like it's finding something that you like slash love, or do you feel like you were really interested in Plugio at one time, you were really interested at light and you kind of got tired of it because it, well, because after nine months or a year, you just got bored of it. I think that is a great question, like shiny object syndrome. And I think that's definitely something that plays for me and a, a lot of founders that I've spoken to have that same issue. And that's a, that's a really good reason to pick something small, <laughs> to pick something small and to, to sort of work in very small iterative steps and chunks and just keep getting that sense of just wanting to do it. Right. To keep pushing the idea forward, but almost like you're dipping your toe in the next water to figure out how excited you are about it. Well, I've, like the problem, I've, I found the biggest problem comes when you're trying to take a step that's too big. And so when you try and take a step that's too big, that is really the, the time when it puts you off and it's like, oh man, this is just too much stress. So you've sort of got to work, work out your next steps, your path quite, quite carefully. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I do. I think a big part of this is knowing yourself. Like I think if you know that you tend to, to not love ideas, whether it's you get tired of them or whether you just are really need to love the ideas you're working on. I think you do have to be really careful. And it's an iterative process, right? We talk about building an MVP. We talk about iterating in software. We talk about iterating in marketing approaches and experimenting. But, you know, you're kind of saying we should be experimenting or someone like you or certain people or whatever should be experimenting with the, the actual apps they're launching to figure out, hey, do I enjoy this? Do I enjoy the customer? Well, experimenting with, with your own sort of self, like exploring the market, exploring everything about the idea, sort of like trying it on like a coat. What's it going to be like to wear this? Yeah, so once I'd finished light and I'd sort of, for all intents and purposes, it was a success, but I'd realized that it wasn't the right, you know, it wasn't the right coat for me. I realized I really want to be good at understanding what is the right coat for me to put on? What is the right idea for me to do? Jason and myself, we were talking about at the time, an interesting mental model, um, which I, I term hyper-iteration. And it comes from the story of this guy, uh, Paul McCready. He's the first guy to create a human-powered flight. He did this by reframing the problem. Instead of focusing on, on testing out one flight idea at a time, he basically built a type of modular Lego kit for planes, something that would enable him to test out different ideas every day. So while other teams who were attempting to do the same thing were working on one idea over six months, he was basically testing out an idea every couple of days over six months. So he tested out, you know, 50 or 100 ideas. I wanted to do that same thing with some startup ideas. And so that's the reason why I came up with the idea to, to submit a mechanical Turk to get a lot of ideas from a lot of different people. And so I created um, a Mechanical Turk on Amazon's, uh, I created a, an HIT on Amazon's Mechanical Turk system and basically just asked two really simple questions. What is a big pain point in your daily work 
that is not yet solved by software. And how could software help you? And I just, I paid 50 cents to ask that question. And I couldn't believe it. Like within a couple of hours of, of posting it, I got back like, I mean, literally 50 to 100 ideas. And I was just going through these ideas and trying them on and thought that was just super interesting. But really quickly, it sort of dawned on me, wait a sec, I think other entrepreneurs might be interested in these ideas. And so that was when I sort of moved on to the next phase of what I was doing with my side projects, which was to basically create a subscription service to just send out one idea a day. Yeah, and I'm fascinated by this. A, I love the creativity. Like I've never heard of anyone doing that. So that's like the founder mind in you, the developer mind of like, there's a problem and I'm just going to experiment and I'm going to try something crazy like submitting it to Mechanical Turk. I think something else you're touching on is, you know, there's a ton of ways to find startup ideas, right? You can find a problem and sometimes that problem is your own, scratch your own itch. Sometimes that problem is at your day job. Sometimes it's your spouse or a colleague. Sometimes you have a crap experience as a customer and you realize, hey, that software isn't good. Other times, you know, you're maybe building on an audience or a network you have, or you see crappy enterprise software and you want to build less expensive. There's all these, there's all these mental models and frameworks and I've actually listed them out. I may write a, another book someday. I'm starting to think about it and I have that as kind of a whole chapter of like thinking about idea generation methods, but not just idea generation because that's often bullshit, but actual like realistic startup vetting, you know, of, of hey, here's an idea that that's not terrible because it comes from some type of pain or some type of some type of something that implies that it you know it should be a startup idea. So the fact that you got these you said you got 50 or 100 ideas when you went through them were they relatively high quality and as you launched this subscription service for this which again I don't think is going to be a multi-million dollar business but I love the ingenuity of it as a as a kind of a micro like a micro SaaS or a micro subscription idea as you started getting subscribers for that, what was the initial response? Like, were people over the moon with it? Because that that is such a problem in the zero to one crowd, right? The people who are pre-revenue, pre-product, the most common question is always, how do you come up with ideas and how do you vet them? Well, people were over the moon with it. The ideas were, were basically very high quality because of the question. The question was just, what is your biggest pain point in your daily work that's not yet being solved by software? So, I mean, literally at this point, I've got 4,000 very high quality ideas. And this brings up a very interesting point, which is what I've truly learned after going through 4,000 ideas and working with hundreds of entrepreneurs, because I, I sort of shifted to teaching entrepreneurs rather than giving them ideas. We'll talk about that in a sec. But what I've truly learned is that ideas are both the most important thing and also the least important thing. <laughs> and it's very, very interesting. So it's like at that beginning part, when you haven't started the business yet, they are the least important thing. And that's when people place too much importance on an idea. They sort of think, oh, wow, this idea is really important. And they really double down on it and they really work on it. And what they should really be doing is iterating through hundreds of ideas and looking at lots of different markets and lots of different concepts until they find just a few that begin to crystallize. And then when you actually sort of hone in on that one idea from hundreds, that is when the idea becomes the most important thing because you've just done a lot of digging. You've done a lot of digging, a sifting through, and then you found something that's good because ultimately the idea is the most important thing because it's the idea that actually people buy. Is it something that people want? You need to create something that people want. And that ultimately comes back to, well, what's the idea? Yeah, so nugget.one if folks want to see the website. And that started, I remember, as a subscription service for ideas, but you quickly realized that people were taking ideas and not being successful. You want to talk us through that? And then you basically started teaching from there saying, hey, you're not being successful because you don't know how to do it. Here's, you know, essentially curriculum to do that. 
yeah, that was that was a problem because it's not it's not a good feeling to have people paying you and not succeeding. You know what I mean? So I had I had a lot of people who were using these ideas, but I through conversation with them, I didn't see anyone succeeding, and I was like, okay, what is actually going on here? So I got on the phone with a lot of entrepreneurs, had a lot of different conversations, and ultimately what I realized was founders didn't really need ideas, they needed education. And that was why I sort of pivoted there. Yeah, and that's a common story, right? I mean, I think that there are a lot more pre-idea or pre-revenue founders than there are founders who are at a million dollars ARR or who are at 10K MRR. We see it in MicroConf, I see it in the podcast listenership, we see it in the tiny seat applications, I see it in the state of independent SaaS. You can just look from left to right in the state of independent SaaS report and you know the lower revenue is on the left and the million dollar and more per month is on the right and it, it is tall on the left and it just goes straight down linear to the right because that's just how the distribution works. And so if you go pre-revenue, it's even larger. You know, it's aspiring founders in essence, right? And that's, it's a big market. And that's why there's so much room for this kind of thing. You know, you can look at what I was doing back in the day with Start Small, Stay Small. And, and even this podcast years ago was much more focused on early stage thinking and idea generation. And there's, you know, what Patrick McKenzie did some teaching and Justin Jackson has talked about this. And there are a lot of people like the moving from developer to entrepreneur type thing. It's how to level up from there. And that's essentially what this Nugget Academy is, right? And you built this curriculum and you're, you've been selling that. Is it a subscription or is it like a one-time fee? Yeah. So basically I built the Nugget Startup Academy, which is the first content piece that I built, which is, it's more than just content. It's because of my background, I've built learning platforms and the Nugget Startup Academy is in fact the fourth complete learning platform that I've built. So I customized it very specially for the experience. So it sort of feels like a little virtual incubator. It's not just the content. But also I worked with um, a friend of mine who's got a master's um, as an instructional designer. So I'd originally written it all out as just content to read, but she showed me how much more powerful it was to have people interact with each other and then to do exercises as they go along. So the whole thing's uh, created that way. That's why we've got an over 50% completion rate for the, for the product versus I think the industry standard is like less than 5% completion rate. Yeah, that's pretty impressive because the completion rate or even the consumption rate of so much, so many information products or courses is, is very, very low. You also asked about is it subscription or is it revenue? This, so this is, this is a really interesting thing. So going through the different pricing models, what I realized about creating content versus creating something like Plugio, which is a SaaS service, a subscription service, is that you just really get your revenue up front. <laughs> so I, I did kind of do an interesting hack that I think other content people might be interested in. What I did was, I've tried various different price points, but the sort of happiest one that I landed on at that, let's say this time last year, you can pay $997 right now to become a lifetime alumni, or you can pay over time and then it will add up to $2,000. So I basically gave them a big incentive to, to take the now price or pay a much smaller price over time. And you know, interestingly, 50% of people chose the upfront. Sure. You're marketing to mostly technical people, I'm imagining, who have high paying jobs and $1,000. It's not nothing, but they certainly are not, you know, missing car payments or, or missing their rent payments, right? Exactly. Yeah. Which, and which I wouldn't want to do. And I say that as part of my sales copy, like if this is in any way, you know, is, if, this, if this is bad for you financially, then please don't do it. 
Right. Cause you're not promising success. You're not doing the info marketer, the back in the day, Hey, become a gazillionaire. This is sure to succeed all that stuff. It, it is much more of a realistic. I, I think of the indie hackers website, which is a lot about the reality of doing it. I think of startups.com, which is about early stage. It's also about the zero to one kind of getting to a product with revenue. I think of nugget, certainly microconf starter. And there's a lot of folks in microconf connect our, our Slack group that are still in that that phase. But that's why there are there is room for many communities because there are so many people, you know, trying to do this and, and tackling it from different different angles. And so you built this academy and you have people you have hundreds of people have run through it, did you mention? I've had over a hundred people run through okay. it. Yeah. And then you realize you were telling me offline that you had all this great content and I have I have felt this pain before. You have all this great content. It's all behind a paywall. And so you're in a conversation, you're emailing with someone and they're like, oh tell me about that. And you're like, oh man, I need to now go turn stuff into PDFs. Yes. I've got to break my own paywall to get this information that I want to give to you for free <laughs> because I just want to help you. Because because ultimately the goal for me from Nugget is not about making money. It's ultimately about helping people. Like I do need to make money. Otherwise my, my, my wife will be a bit mad at me. But the main goal is to actually help people. Right. And so you pulled out seven of the lessons and turned it into what you're calling the boot camp. Yeah. So it's it essentially is the sort of key, most important information from Nugget, but just refactored is, is a great way to say it, refactored into seven lessons, seven success factors, I called them. Got it. And you, uh, I believe you quoted and linked to me in several places. I've, uh... Oh, I did. Because I mean, sir, you have been very, very uh, fundamental and instructional for my whole bootstrapping career. You've written a lot of seminal thought pieces. And so, of course, I mean, as I'm, as I'm writing out the pages, I mean, it's hard to remember exactly where you draw all your ideas from. But there's certain points where I'm like, oh, yeah, Rob wrote something about this and it completely backs up what I'm saying right now. So then I put it as recommended reading in the course. Yeah. So of these, these seven lessons you walk through, context, customers, market, product, price, competition, and longevity, in context, you say level up within your founder context. And I have a note here that you link to my blog post, The Stair-Step Approach to Bootstrapping. You want to talk us through what that context means when you say your founder context and how it integrates with the Stair-Step Approach, realizing that if folks listen to this podcast, they know what, what the Stair-Step Approach is. Yeah. So I think that one of the main things that I've really learned is that at least 50% of this whole thing is about you, <laughs> about who you are. And so that's what I really wanted to get across as like the major first lesson. And really the whole bootcamp is wrapped up in this concept. So even the second lesson is learn what your ideal customer will pay for. You know, the third lesson is pick a market that you can reach and prove it. And we'll, we'll get into that later. But just to answer your question, Basically, I wanted to create a predictable model for success. I wanted to create something like a Ruby on Rails framework in this bootcamp so that it just it could just work for anyone. And the, the first problem that I've seen with most founders is that they're working way ahead of where they should be. The further away you work from what you already know how to do, the less predictable the results. So I'll give an example. Like What I mean by that is like, let's say you're walking up some stairs. If you take one step at a time, well, you know that, you know, that's a predictable result. You're going to achieve that one step and you'll get to the top of the stairs. But let's say you decided, okay, I'm going to take five steps at a time. That actually does become a bit difficult because five stairs are kind of hard for anyone to walk. But if your context was you were an NBA all-star trying to walk upstairs five steps at a time, you can do it, right? Because <laughs> you know, you're really tall and that's really easy for you to do. So it's pretty easy for, you, for an NBA all-star to do that. But I'm imagining that whoever's listening to this, you're probably like a, a coder 
or a designer, if you took that same NBA all-star and put them in your context and asked them to do your job, they would have to go one stair at a time. And so this is the problem. A lot of zero to one founders go straight for a SaaS app. You know what I'm saying? But that is like stair number five. <laughs> and so I think you need to learn the fundamental stuff first. And even you've written about this, like one of the first things you should do is learn how to get some traffic. That's just like a, a basic how you play the indie founder level up game, step one. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that's, I mean, gosh, I've been preaching this since maybe 2006 or seven when I really started pivoted my blog into talking about entrepreneurship. And the first thing I realized was the product, building the product. It's going to sound so boring to anyone who's listening to this show. And it's so fundamental. But, but I mean, how many times a day on Hacker News or how many emails do I get or how many questions to the podcast are on Indie Hackers? Do you see a post of, so I built this product, now how do I market it? And it's like, no, I understand. You know, I made the same mistake, so I don't want to mock it. But it's just... I just want everyone to know that. And that's essentially what you're saying. It's like, you know, nothing happens until someone visits the website, you know, and considers buying something. So in the, in the lesson, the context lesson, I, I basically link it to the mental model of, you know, level up games. So like there's three, there's three types of level up games that we play. We play the indie founder level up game where we level up our career. We play the product level up game where we level up a product and we play the skill level up game where we just get good at stuff. And so if you look at the indie founder level game, like the first thing you need to do is, as we just said, is like level one is, okay, how do I get some traffic? You know, you could write a blog post, you could do some SEO, there's a lot of different things. And then level two, and these are sort of my levels, so you can jump in, Rob, if you think something's wrong here. But level two, I think is just sell a very simple thing like a template or a plugin or a course. That's step one. Step one of the stair-step approach. Okay, yeah. So um, I guess I'm just sort of separating out the steps. Like step one is I'm saying build a bit of traffic. Step two, which is your step one, is just like build a tiny thing. And then I'm saying, okay, so now you've built a tiny thing. Let's learn how to like, you know, maybe grow that through a few different channels, maybe do a second one. So basically you're what I call a grower. So the first one is a noob. Level two is a seller. Level three is a grower. And then level four is a builder, which is what I'm saying this is where you start to validate and sell a more complex product like a membership site or a SaaS. Like just don't even go there until you've mastered the early level stuff. Yeah, I like it. it it's right in line with what I've been talking about. And you know, something I have realized is there are certain people who don't want to do that. And uh, all I say is, that's cool. You're just going to have a harder harder time. You know, you're just going to have a lower chance of succeeding if you haven't built these skills. If you don't know how to write copy, don't know how to run PPC ads, you don't know how to do SEO, you don't know how to do customer support, you don't know, you know, all you know how to build a product, there is a chance you will succeed. We do through survivor bias. You and I hear stories about it all the time on these podcasts, but you just have some, I'll say some strikes against you or some, a little more challenging way to do it, but that doesn't mean you can't go and do it and doesn't mean that you can't succeed if you don't go through these steps. But this is just the more repeatable, the more, I call it, you know, the more the blueprinted way that I see people doing it. If you just want to be someone who doesn't want to interact with people, because that's really what it comes down to. It's like, you've got to learn how to interact with people, how to market stuff, how to speak to people. If you don't want to do that, then just focus on the automated SEO approach. I have seen founders be very successful at that. So one, one guy I like to talk about, Michael Lynch, uh, who's got a site called Is It Keto? So if you just Google Is It Keto? So this was a, a great example of a site that he built that I think has 60,000 uniques a month. And um, he's, you know, he's monetizing via ads. And I know, a few, I know another guy who has 
built other other different services that where he, he gets a million uniques a month. So it's very possible to do that if you just want to do that as an engineer. But even then, it's kind of hard to monetize. Like, so Michael moved away from Izakito because he found it difficult to, to sort of monetize beyond, you know, a thousand a month type of thing. And ultimately, he ended up moving back to a regular thing. And he now creates a product called Tiny Pilot, which is a little USB that you plug into your laptop and it lets you remotely manage the laptop. So that's fascinating. And that is something I like about, you know, getting Is It Keto out there, getting it up to $1,000 a month. What did he learn? He learned how to generate traffic, probably how to rank in SEO, as you're saying. He learned just how to have stuff in production, how to deal with potential, you know, there, there's all this this stuff that he learned, even though it's like, oh, I only got it to 1000 a month. There's success in in the learning, right? If you can parlay it to the next level. You know, I recommend people check out his website, mtlynch.io, because it's a great example. Like he does retrospectives and he sort of talks through everything he's thinking. It's the reason why I reached out to him in the first place. I was so impressed to see that level of self-introspection as he was working through the process. Um, so yeah, he talks about every, his whole journey from the get-go and the learnings. So yeah, it's, it's again the reason why it's so good, to, in my opinion, to start at level one, really understanding, okay, what is traffic? How do I get people? Think of it this way. It's like, if you have a seed and a plant pot and you throw that seed in the plant pot and there's no soil, <laughs> it's not going to grow. You need to learn where to get soil from. You need to learn where to get the soil because a seed will not grow without soil. Indeed. And do you have any other success stories or folks who have you know, built interesting things out of the academy? Well, I'd say my best example is a guy called Matteo Mosca, and he's built a few different... He's sort of in that... He's in the product of um, hyper-iteration validation. We've gone through a lot of ideas to get to the point where he's sort of... I don't know what you call it, where you're testing three three main ideas. I don't know what... what the, is, is it split? I guess it's sort of A-B testing. So basically, he's got three landing pages. One of them is heyhi.io. H-E-Y-H-I.io. Yeah. And the other one is replayhero.io. And the other one is pitchwall.io. So he's got those three things out. And I, I'm pretty sure that he is going to get somewhere very soon. I mean, he's, he's, all, he's already made sales for the Hey High one, but that has other issues. Well, very cool, sir. And if folks want to check out, you know, again, are the Nugget ideas now free or are those behind a paywall? They are free. So, uh, so, so the ideas are free and the boot camp is free. Yeah. So if you, if you go to nugget.one and you just sign up for an account, you instantly got access to those 4,000 ideas and you've instantly got access to the boot camp. And at the end, if you do complete the boot camp, at the end of the boot camp is when you will get the option to join the actual full startup academy. That will be presented to you. And I believe that it's, um, I'm, I've got a 50% discount there. So you can get in for about 500 right now. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And, but folks can, I mean, if they do the other free stuff, it's not, there's no hard pitch. You're not going to be calling them on the phone. No, 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 <laughs> hey, no. Sign no. up for my academy. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Not the slightest. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to have you on here. You know, some folks might be thinking, well, why does, why is there having someone on here who's essentially selling a course and it, which, which I don't really do, but it's A, you and I have known each other a long time and I know the, the content you put together is good. And B, you are giving away a tremendous amount of value for free. And so if folks want the ideas or the boot camp. It's free and, and there really are no strings attached. And I've actually been inside Nugget, which is a custom piece of software, right? And you, and you built the, uh, the curriculum, but also the software around it. And it's, it's really well done. So, Oh, thank you, sir. And well, and of course, don't forget, you will also see uh, links out to a lot of Rob's stuff as well. So you may discover some posts that you haven't read of his. So that's another good reason to check it out. Very cool. And if folks want to keep up with you, obviously, Nugget.one, they can check it out. And you are Justin Vincent on Twitter. That is correct. 
Oh, can I just say the best place to look at, I guess my best profile page, it's probably a good, good thing to say, right? Is if you go nugget.one forward slash JV for Justin Vincent. So nugget.one forward slash JV. And that just lists all my different projects and how much revenue I've earned, you know, doing side projects and all the different podcasts that I'm part of and stuff like that. And they can check out your Roblox app you're working on. <laughs> yeah, well, dude, I just want to say thank you so much for everything that you do for, for founders like me and for other indie founders. If you want to talk about giving a, a lot away for free and paying it forward, like you have done that for so long. So I just want to say a huge thank you. And, you know, if, if like seriously, you have been a major, major influence on me. So I really do appreciate that. Uh, thanks for saying that. That means a lot, sir. Thanks again for joining me. All right. Thank you. Thanks again to Justin Vincent for coming on the show. You can hear him over on the Tech Zing podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes of Startups for the Rest of Us, I really would appreciate if you would mention it on Twitter. You can just at mention Rob Walling or Startups Pod and share a little love if it's something that you feel like you get value out of and that other folks might get value out of too as they are starting, building, and growing their SaaS products. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you again next week.